we are in progress. Woohoo. So actually I found this on Twitter. Awesome. Shall we start? Yes. Like is this is this the official start? Let's go. Welcome to Research. <laughs> I'm Lindsay. And I'm Lisa. And we're here to talk to you about food and research and everything in between. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have a really cool article I'm going to be talking about today. This is one that blew my mind when I found out about it. And it was through my science Twitter people Yay. who I follow because I want to learn what they know. And they started talking about protein consumption and kidney function in that relationship and they shared with me they were nice enough to share with me the meta-analysis that this article came from so today we're going to be talking about it awesome and I think the researchers are Canadian aren't they isn't it a McMaster yes they are yes. there's one in from Waterloo oh yeah so Waterloo. I know and uh, McMaster as well so we got some Canadian folks out there uh, that are super, super smarty pants who are sharing some of their research. I think if I remember correctly, this study was one of the most cited ones in that journal. And I think that might be why it made the kind of science Twitter news. I wouldn't be surprised because it, it really goes against, I think, the general conception of protein consumption. So, okay, before we get started, this is from the Journal of Nutrition, uh, which is a pretty big journal and quite well known and quite well respected as far as I'm aware. Uh, the title is Changes in Kidney Function Do Not Differ Between Healthy Adults Consuming Higher Compared with Lower or Normal Protein Diets, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis, which awesome. of course for us are like the golden words <laughs> we, we, we like those we definitely cover a lot of those when we have our right what's better than one or two studies but a review of dozens of studies all in one study <laughs> I know like so many data points that we can all analyze happily together and yeah we we got some people from University of Waterloo and McMaster talking about this before we get started let's talk a little bit about the background so hopefully everybody can understand why this is such a big deal um, because it is a pretty big deal we understand how important protein is in the diet this is critical and i i like to kind of think of it as like without proteins literally there would be no life right it is really the basis for how cells are able to do everything they need to do they're responsible for all enzyme function we kind of break this up into like metabolic and digestive but they facilitate that energy release that en energy harvest and everything else involved with enzymes they're responsible for structure transport of all sorts of things throughout the body immunity and ph balance and pretty much everything would fall into one of those five categories yeah proteins are so important yeah they do so many things proteins are made up of amino acids there's 20 that we need. There's actually a little bit more, but in terms of what humans need, we have 20. Nine of these are essential, right. which means that we have to get them from our diet because we do not have the capacity to make those 
amino acids on our own. All of the other 11, our body, our liver is able to convert. I kind of think of it as like Lego. You break it down, you build it back up again. Right, right. Yeah, it's able to do whatever it needs to do with all of the ingredients it has, but nine of them, nope, all bets are off. You have to get these from the diet. Typically, when we look at different diets, people who are omnivorous, so they eat a mix of plants and animal products, would get all of the amino acids they need because animal products, whether it's consuming the animal itself or a byproduct of it, is a complete protein. That means it has all, and in good ratios, the nine amino acids that we have to get from our diet. Because animals need those amino acids too. Yes. And so, and typically we're consuming, not all the time, but a lot of the animals we eat are herbivores. They have the enzymatic capacity to make those amino acids. We take advantage of that through our food system. We consume them and we get the amino acids we need. People that are vegetarian or vegan have to be a lot more careful with their diet because plant products, most plant products do not contain in the right ratios and the right quantities, all of the essential amino acids that we need in order to thrive. And so this is where we start getting the complementary foods together, like rice and beans go well, because when you put them together, we cover the spectrum of those nine amino acids that we need to get from our diet. Right. The idea is to get a variety of different plants. Yes. In order to get the protein that we need. Yeah. All of the essential amino acids, right? Yeah. Because plants do contain all of the amino acids we need, but just in less quantities. And it's just not enough for our bodies. So we need to complement them so that we eat some plants that are low in some things and some plants that are high in that one amino acid. When we do not consume the essential amino acids that we need, and this goes on for a long enough period of time, we start to struggle with malnutrition. We start to struggle with um, inadequate amounts of protein and our bodies cannot function very well anymore because we need all of those amino acids to make all the proteins to do all the things that we just talked about. And when we're missing any one or multiples, our bodies just can't make those proteins. Right. It's like any essential nutrient. You have a insufficiency if you don't get enough and eventually you can turn into a deficiency. Yes. And then our health starts to struggle in different ways as a result. Um, So protein is really important. It's been the focus of a lot of studies for a long time. You know, I, I, I feel like we thought we had a handle on how much we need and all the different parts and all the different issues around protein consumption. But and this is why I love research. There's always more to learn. And there's, there's, yeah, there, when we think that we're there, it's like, nope, just wait a second. We still need to learn a little bit more. And so that's kind of where this is coming from. So what we see in the research, higher protein diets um, are good for us because they promote muscle hypertrophy during resistance training. And so this is that buildup of muscle uh, that people want when they start to bulk up. They can help increase weight loss and preserve lean body mass during weight loss. So one of the issues around weight loss, when people want to lose weight, we don't want to just arbitrarily lose weight. What we want to do is typically lose adipose tissue. We want to dip into those energy reserves. We don't want to be tapping into lean muscle mass because lean muscle mass 
is beneficial for health for a lot of different reasons that we can definitely talk about in another episode. So yeah, we're not going to get into a lot of detail with uh, why we want to keep that lean muscle mass, but we don't want to be dipping into that when we lose weight. In older populations, it can help preserve skeletal muscle mass, which helps with, again, a lot of health benefits. People stay strong, they stay active, they just improve their overall health. When people consume adequate amounts of protein, we can increase satiety, which can also help with weight loss. And as a result, it decreases energy consumption. So basically we eat less calories because we feel full is what it comes down to. Protein is harder to digest. It takes a little bit more work from the body and time. And this is one of the reasons why it helps increase satiety. You eat it and your body takes a little bit longer to process it, to work its way out of our digestive system. And so we get full faster and stay full for longer, which means we're not going to be reaching for other food because we don't feel the urge to. And the other small beneficial effect is when we increase protein consumption, we have a thermal effect on the body. It increases our energy expenditure because it takes a little bit more work from the body to break it down and be able to harvest that, like digest and be able to process protein. Here's where we start getting into some of the issues. Like we understand how good protein is for us, but it's one of those things that we've always been told we have to be careful with that amount that we're getting in our diet. We shouldn't have too much. We shouldn't have too little. And so we really have to be careful to find that sweet spot and try and stick to it. Protein contains nitrogen. That's one of the, the special elements that's in protein and typically only in protein. This changes the game in terms of clearance of some of the metabolic waste material. So the body breaks it down into urea and it has to get filtered out through the kidneys. The thought is that this increased nitrogen load, when you have these high protein diets, when you eat too much protein, you have too much nitrogen in your body, it becomes a burden on the kidney and can alter what's called the glomerular (laughs) filtration rate. (laughs) Why do I always pick the hard words? (laughs) You do, you do really. Oh, this is so, it's very humbling. Let me just say that. We're going to call this the GFR from now on. <laughs> but the, the, the kidneys filter out all of this urea from the blood and it can change the rate because urea is really hard to excrete. So it increases what's called renal solute load, which over time, if this happens for a long enough period of time, the thought or understanding was that it would compromise kidney function and you put yourself at higher risk of developing kidney disease. And I noticed you used the word was. Yes. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Um, On the flip side, people, I think, cautiously tend to lean more towards, not all people, but a lot of people lean more towards low protein diet as a way to try and protect themselves from this risk. But what we've seen for a long time is that primary research studies show that low protein diets show no health benefit and may even show potential harm, even for people with kidney disease. 
So let me repeat that. Yes. There is no benefit to going low protein and it may even be harmful for you because now you're not getting adequate protein amounts in your diet. This is pretty big because the, the argument was always, well, to be safe right. and to try and reduce our risk, we're just going to, you know, err on the side of caution and kind of go to the lower end of what we should be consuming. But now what we're seeing is that there's bigger risk in doing that than getting too much protein. And this is based on an analysis of a few dozen other studies. Yeah, like this information was actually like predetermined before this study. And so this um, paper that we're looking at today, like all of this has already been established. And so what they're looking at is now the flip side of trying to establish the risk factor associated with high protein diets. So we've seen that there's a risk with low protein diets. But is there a big risk with high protein diets? Because that was the general understanding. Yeah, because people were worried about kidney disease. Right. You, you eat too much protein and you're going to damage your kidneys. Right. And no joke, without your kidneys, you're in a lot of trouble. Your kidneys, yeah, they reduce a ton of waste material and it's toxic. Yeah. If you don't get rid of this waste material, you are going to build up all these toxins in your body and your body will not long. be able to function no like a couple of days yeah and so this this is why it's so dangerous now i mean there is the possibility of kidney transplants but yeah, i mean if you don't need one like try and not have that happen major surgery oh yeah and, and waiting not to mention <laughs> the complications that come from transplant but you need one you get one but if you don't need one you don't go for it yeah so what we're going to look at today is this study analyzing the risk involved in high protein diets. They've done a really good uh, summary so that we can see exactly what the risk is and be able to modify, which is the whole scientific process. Right. We learn, we modify, we adapt, we keep moving forward. We keep adapting as we keep learning more. And we grow with our understanding. And a bunch of people from labs all over the world are looking at a similar question or the same question from a different angle. We're all trying to prove each other wrong and see what happens with all of our individual hypotheses and experiments. Exactly. Yeah, so this study, we're looking at the risk factor. Uh, it is, of course, a systematic review meta-analysis. So this was given a 7 out of a 7 in terms of the quality of the paper we're looking at. The question is, is there a big risk with high protein diet? So they went through, you see my papers, papers rustling. Oh, just to go back actually, before we move on with this, what is the right amount? Before we talk about the article, what was the considered correct amount of protein that people should be getting? Do you know? Less than two grams per kilogram. Oh, yeah, quite a bit. What was it? 0.8 grams of protein per kilo of body weight. 0.8? 0.8. So for your average person. Wait, that's what people are getting or that's what's recommended? That's what's right. That was what was recommended. Oh, okay. I'm not sure if the official recommendation has changed, okay. but I think my opinion <laughs> has changed since then. But just to give you an example. So if you have a 150 pound person who again, isn't pregnant, isn't a super athlete, 
doesn't have any major health concerns that would impact this. Right. 150 pound person should be consuming about 55 grams of protein a day minimum. based on this 0.8 grams per kilo recommendation. Is that the minimum? That's kind of what they recommend for a guideline. Hmm. So that's what you should aim for, which is not a ton. Well. Yeah. And I definitely know, especially with people moving more and more towards plant-based, I'm wondering how much lower they might be below that because not everybody, like it's possible. If you know what you're doing, it's possible to definitely make sure you get adequate amounts of protein through plants. Yes. yes. And I'm not knocking plant-based diets. That is no. not what I'm saying. Right. But people unintentionally don't realize that they have to pay a bit more attention to their diet and be a little bit more selective and, and, and make sure that they're including higher protein foods with their diet to make sure they're getting adequate amounts. Right. And it's easy to let that fall through the cracks if you're not paying attention or you don't know how to do it properly. So I'm, I'm wondering what the reality is for people, what they're actually getting. I'm sure we could find out. Yeah, I did not look into that before I yeah. did this, but we should and see if we can post that on mm -hmm. social and see what, what the, the stats tell us. So this study started off, I'm just going to start to read my notes. I'm just going to pull it right from the paper, which has been well highlighted. There's a lot of <laughs> color going on here. They started off by doing a search and found 2,144 papers between Medline and Embase. They've actually found seven more that they were able to add and they were able to start filtering out a lot of them because they didn't meet the qualifications that need to be met in order to do a meta-analysis. They have to be randomized control trials or some type of clinical trial or they can't typically be included in. Those are the qualifications because of the statistical methods that have to be used. What's important to know with these kinds of studies is that all of the qualifications are created before they ever do a search to see what studies are. These are all a priori requirements. Yes. And then what they do is they're like, all right, I don't know what's out there. These are all of the minimum criteria I need in order for me to do conduct my research and answer my question using the methods I'm proposing. And then they go and they do all these searches and mm -hmm. then they rate each one based on those preset condition. So it's not that they take the studies and then decide which ones they like or not. Yeah. And I'm glad you're saying that because that's a, that's a really important point as well that, you know, everything is set out right. ahead of time. They don't know what is going to make it through that filter, but it, it doesn't matter. It, exactly. and we're losing that yeah. potential for bias by doing it this way. And this is why there's so much strength in these systematic reviews and meta analysis is because they put systems in place even before they start so that there is no potential for bias. Yeah, it's much lower. They're not going to be biased based on the outcomes when they're looking at methodology and it's already decided in advance. Yes. Um, so at the end, we have 28 studies that they were able to include. There was 28 with renal function reported following the intervention and 18 with renal function reported prior to and following the intervention. And so this is where... Some of the issues that we start hearing about in this study is not uh, the bulk of the studies actually didn't even look at kidney function until after the experiment was done and compared the two different like so the control and then the trial 
they compared those two, not pre post with both groups. So not in terms of experimental design, not great. Um, and there was less that actually looked at baseline and following intervention. Right, and that's what this whole paper is about. It's about kidney function on a high protein diet versus yes. a lower protein diet. And all of those definitions were all categorized. In yeah, okay. Yeah, so, and those were kind of separated out through this whole paper. Um, they were constantly comparing like post only compared to pre-post. Um, and what they found is, so getting into some of the results, the when there's a type of analysis that they can do called a grade which i'm not sure how intentional that was or not but they kind of assign grades to the different studies mm -hmm. looking at the quality of experimental design how well was this experiment actually put together and they found that a lot of the studies um, especially that were pre-post were very low in quality mm -hmm. and the post only was considered low out of a four like I would consider it like a four star grade so the best would be four they got one for pre-post and two stars for post only hmm. so the studies that were run were lacking they were still able to include them in the meta-analysis to get a, a good understanding of what the data is telling us because we are able to pull so many together even though it's poor quality we can still be able to glean quite a bit of information from it and out of 2100 they ended up with 28 so the yeah. vast vast majority of studies didn't even make it this far to be included yeah so i thought that was really interesting i think i i didn't expect that um but they definitely say that this is one of the issues that should be taken into account for any future studies that are done that they need to find better ways of designing the experiment. But I, I really think a lot of this came down to cost because doing the different kidney function tests and like the more participants you have, like, and supplying all the food, it gets pricey. Yeah. And so I, I think this part of the restricting factor is finances. Oh, it, oh yeah, for sure. The yeah. Money to do your research is a part-time job when you're a scientist. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenge. Whenever you do meta-analysis, if you've listened to any of our other episodes, you know that meta-analysis look at uh, biases that can pop up. So they did find that there was potential for publication bias here. And this is something we've talked about a lot. There's a lot of potential for bias just in even what paper and so I'm sure there's a lot that couldn't be included because they just didn't ever make it into publication. Right. So, you know, like if you do a study and then the null hypothesis is supported, it's less likely to get published because it's not noteworthy. But the interesting thing is exactly. And, and statistically speaking, you can actually see things that were never published because when you understand the mm -hmm. statistics about how how likely you are to come up with these kinds of results, you actually start seeing yes. a gap in the in the published research, and you can you know a, make a hypothesis that there were studies that were done that had this result but weren't published because what yeah. are the odds? Yeah, so they're they they are saying that there was a they were able to recognize 
the potential for publication bias here within these types of studies. So that, of course, will skew the data as well. So, and we try and take that into account. I shouldn't say we, they, the fancy statisticians who is not me. <laughs> I like stats, but yeah, no. They're able to take that into account when they're doing all their math. Um, so when we look at all of the studies, I went through and took a closer look because they have these awesome tables of all of the studies that were included and they break it down into what type of study it was, how many participants, and they also included the duration, which I thought was really interesting. And then they have the daily protein intake. And there was okay. quite a range. So we just talked about, this is why I wanted to mention it before. Before this study, the recommendation was understood to be 0.8 grams per kilo was the target. We don't want too much above because risk of kidney damage. We don't want too much below because of malnutrition. The first study listed 3.3 grams per kilo. That's, that's over three that's times high. higher. So when I saw that, I almost fell out of my chair. <laughs> it's like, wow, we're really like shooting for the stars here in terms of high protein diet. Um, and they compared to a low protein diet or a lower protein diet, which was 2.6. So they were, that study was comparing the two that one lasted for eight weeks. There was also one 24 weeks. That was 3.3 as well. We have the gamut, two grams. There was one that looked at like the low protein component. Like a lot of these were crossover studies where they would do a low protein and then flip over to a high protein and compare the difference. And they would both last the same amount of time. So maybe you're eating like low protein for three weeks and then high protein for three weeks. So the study would have gone on for like right. six weeks. Right. So there was one here where the high protein was two grams per kilo per person per day. The low was 0.3, which hmm. is quite low based on that 0.8. And then sometimes they classified it as like percentage of how, what was the percentage of um, calories from the diet from protein right which is about 30% for a lot of them, sometimes as low as 15%, 35%. Like it kind of ran the gamut. There was a few that just basically were like, no, you have to eat 150 grams a day. They didn't even take into account variability <laughs> among individuals. So not sure why that one was done that way. But the one thing that ran common through the whole list of all of these studies that were included was a type of protein. That was included. Can you think of what it would be? The type of protein? Yeah. Like as in supplementation? It could have been dietary or supplements. Well, in order to get three grams per kilogram per day, I mean, you almost need supplementation. Some of them were, but it was always animal-based, except for oh, right. one study. So it was either whey protein, one here... That was the low protein, but it was all like plant and animal sources, including dairy, animal sources, um, chicken, lots of dairy. So you're really pushing a lot of animal products. Right. And, and this. I mean, even whey protein powder would have been made from milk, but you can yeah. also get it from actually eating dairy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's just that isolated protein. Right. And again, if you want to know more about that, refer yeah. back to our protein supplement episode that we have. So you can learn all about that. But there was out of all 28, there was one study 
that was for the high protein was vegetable protein. Right. That's all it really said. I'd have to go back to the original study to find out what type of vegetable protein they weren't specific in here. That's another good thing about research in these studies is they give you references for all of the studies they included in this review so that you can go back and double check yes. and see what they did in those studies. So that's another thing with research is always building from old knowledge or current knowledge on top of that. Yeah, and that that definitely is um, something important to remember. So we can always go back and learn more if we want. But yeah, some of them didn't specify. So that was like non-disclosed. But across the board, there was some type of animal product somewhere in there. Yes. Lots of different lengths of studies, which was interesting. No conflict of interest at all. When we get to the discussion, so basically, like, we see low quality studies, but as a group, we're able to get some pertinent information from it. Um, we do see risk of bias. They talk about the quality in the paper of all the different studies, but we're not going to go into that just to keep things timely. If you want, of course, we're going to connect to the original study. And this was an open paper. This was open access, yes, which I really liked yes. as well. So if you're like, hey, I want to see what the heck Definitely. they're talking about. It's open to everybody, which is awesome. We'll put the link there for you. So into the results, this is a quote directly from the paper, quote, there was no difference between high protein and low protein groups when they were or comparing sorry, kidney function. It had no effect that they were able to determine. There you go. When they compared post-only values, so remember, this is only where they're comparing the kidney function at the end of the study. They're not looking at baseline before the study actually got started. They found a small very, very small change between the two. But when they looked at the pre-post, so again, you're looking before the study, after the study, that was negligible. It was completely wiped out for all of them. And remember, some of those diets were really high protein. Really high. I can't imagine how hard it would be to get 3.3 grams per kilo of body weight. I'm going to... Every day. Every day. So hold on, 3.3 doing I'm the doing math. the math. <laughs> so for your average 150 pound person, you divide by 2.2 because there's 2.2 pounds in a kilo. So that person, 150 pound person is 68 kilos. And then you times by 3.3. Oh my God, that's 225 grams of protein a day. Before, what did I say? It was 55 grams. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's... Five times oh. more. Oh my goodness. That's that's a lot of protein. You you have to practically, you have to supplement in order to get that yeah. high. Okay. So we have discussions for afterwards. Um, <laughs> back to the results <laughs> before we go off on tangents, which I know we're going to do. Uh, what were some of the other things I wanted to highlight? What they found is there was, uh, with high protein diets, there was increased kidney blood flow that accommodated for the higher amounts of urea that had to be excreted which makes sense right like you have more to get rid of so your body's just going to compensate and increase blood flow to make sure that that happens but there was no indication that that was good or bad that did not impact it, it, glomerular <laughs> the gf <laughs> what was what i said i was going to call it the gfr the yeah should i leave yeah, that in <laughs> Uh, there was no impact on the glomerular 
flow rate, but what we saw was increased blood flow. So somehow, I, I'm not a kidney expert, so I don't understand the differentiation, but there is, is what they're saying. With individuals that did consume higher amounts of protein, there was a suggestion that there was a protective effect of protein intake on kidney health. Protective. Yes. I thought that was interesting. And what they found is there's there's no risk, even with pre-existing conditions. So if somebody ha- is struggling with obesity, hypertension, dyslipidemia, there's there's no risk. Even for people with kidney disease, they found it was very low risk. To have a higher protein. To have a higher protein yeah. diet. Now, with that being said, you don't have to do 3.3 grams per no. kilo, but shoot for more than that 0.8. So skip to the end. Again, if you want to read through, I highly recommend you do. Quote, in summary, the results of the current meta-analysis suggest a non-existent or trivial effect of high protein consumption on GFR in individuals with normal kidney function. And it's also in line with statements that have already been released by the WHO and Institute of Medicine on protein intake and kidney function. So really what it comes down to is the risk of malnutrition from lower amounts of protein is higher than any potential risk of consuming high protein diets. So high protein diets do not seem to have any negative effects on the kidneys, despite what we had previously thought. Exactly. This is really baffling me. Because it just seems like for so long, we were concerned about nitrogen and kidneys and like just too much. But apparently that's, that's not the case. We really should be consuming more protein. But now, of course, like following the episode we just did on sustainable foods, how do we improve our health by consuming higher protein diets while still consuming more plant-based because it's better for the environment yeah that's really what the question i think we need to start asking and trying to find more answers for finding those higher protein plants yes and having a variety of them every day yeah so we're making sure we're covering all of those different essential amino acids that we need so some good questions like i just we look at the research We don't have all the answers. We're just here to ask questions and discuss. We're not knocking animal protein in any way because some people need it. And lots of people love it. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's tasty. And it is like, it's, it's a good source of essential protein, essential amino acids. I mean, when you look at evolution, you know, there are a lot of cultures through history. Humans have been eating animals for a long time because they're a really good source of nutrients at more more higher density yeah uh, especially organ meats are really amongst the highest they are but traditional value yeah but they're just not that popular no they've definitely fallen out of favor i think in the past few decades which is unfortunate i wish i could get around some of the textures and maybe i think it's more of a mental block around eating some of the organ meats I do try and incorporate liver, though, if I'm making like spaghetti sauce. Mm-hmm. I think we've talked about this before, haven't we? I don't remember a liver conversation. I can't remember. It's possible. I just don't remember it. Yeah, it could be. Sometimes my brain is a bit like a sieve. 
too many things going on. But yeah, like as <laughs> I've always, <laughs> I've always, <laughs> I know. Should I add that in? Um, I, I, for my whole life, I've always struggled with anemia and uh, making sure I'm getting enough iron more than anything else. I, my body really struggles with that. And so one of the tricks that I would do is when I'm making like spaghetti sauce or chili are my two go-tos. Mm-hmm. I had lots of plants. I had tons of extra plants as a start. So lots of onion, carrots, celery, sometimes cauliflower, zucchini, peppers, just depending on what I have on hand. And then I'll add some different ground meats. And then for every pound of ground meat that I add, I'll add a third of a pound of liver. Ground. Uh, I'll either put it in the um, food processor or I'll see if like some butchers will actually grind it up with the ground if you do like special order. Right. So, but the ratio so that you're still not kind of tasting or getting that liver texture is about a third or three to one, I guess it would be three pounds ground meat to one pound liver. And it's, it's just a really good source of iron, really good source of B12, vitamin D, vitamin A. Those are the main ones. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of the, um, maybe we could go over a couple of the higher protein plants as well. Um, I mean, soy is known to be a higher protein plant. And And it's a complete protein. And that's right. Yeah. And they all have varying amounts of the non-essential. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's known to be one of the better proteinaceous, as I like to say, plants. And then I include things like tofu. Um, yeah. And tempa. Milk. And then, sorry. Tempa. tempa is, is tempe soy? It might be. I'm pretty sure it's soy. It's a fermented soy, though. Okay. And then so. you have your, and soy is a legume. So a lot of the legumes are known to have more higher levels of protein. And so you probably include some beans and lentils and stuff in your chili as well. Yes. Yeah. So it is a good way of bumping up that protein content by adding different beans and legumes. I'm just going back to see what if some of the plant-based was listed here there was soy listed mm-hmm. pea pea protein. protein yeah yeah that that seems to be the bigger one because it's a fairly new protein isolate and so people don't have that allergic response or that sensitivity whereas soy i think is is so mass produced and over over processed that's in a lot of different foods even if you're not aware of it and so there are some people that are sensitive to soy yeah well of course if you are sensitive to any particular food we do not recommend you have it yes i am very extremely sensitive to anaphylactically sensitive to brazil nuts so i get it we sometimes we just need to avoid stuff and that's just the way it is yeah because no food is good for you if it's causing an allergic reaction and right. death. We, yeah. we don't want that. No. They're not super specific. You'd have to go back to the other, like to the actual article to get more detail on what type of plant protein. Some of them are <laughs> listing soy, but most of them aren't listing it at all. Right. There, there's even quite a bit of protein in some grains, right? Some, so like your, quinoa. Your oats and your wheat as yeah. well. Yeah. I mean... There's technically there's protein in everything, right? Because even animal cells need protein to function, but they're just in varying amounts. And so you would have to go back and figure out, and there's lots of charts and lots of dietary breakdown 
of the nutritional content in food. But yeah, legumes, if we're looking at plant-based legumes are a really good way to go. Lentils and beans, Mm -hmm. uh, some grains, quinoa, technically quinoa is a seed though, isn't it? Nuts are a little bit higher in protein. The primary component of those though is carbs. However, with that being said, carbs are not to be vilified. These are complex carbs when we're looking at them in whole grains. Yeah. It's not white granulated sugar to the way more than you really need in order to get that little bit of sweetness that you're looking for anyway. (laughs) Yeah. And don't cruciferous veg tend to be high in protein as well? Like broccoli and cauliflower and I don't know how much they have. They do have some. Yeah. I thought that for vegetables, they had higher amounts. I should go back. And they also have um, other amazing things in them as well. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. We talked about that. (laughs) Glycosinolates. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, start eating more protein. Yeah, uh, don't be afraid of protein, I think is the bottom line of this, which is which is good to know. Yes. Uh, you don't necessarily need your three grams per kilo per day. Yeah. But incorporating it into your meals and getting a variety of different plant sources and animal if you also want that as well. Yeah. Um, it's an important, it's an essential nutrient. There's so many essential amino acids that we literally need to have in order to be healthy. Yes. Every day. Yeah. Well, and I think it it does come down to individuality, how active you are, what your health concerns are, um, what your health goals are. If you're trying to lose weight, upping that protein can, is shown to be really beneficial for your health. And so it might take a little bit of playing with that number and, you know, definitely talking to your health care professional or any type of nutrition professional and kind of seeing where you're at and and where you should try and see you know what your body likes and what feels good but thank you Lindsay for bringing this yeah eat more protein thank you for bringing up this uh really interesting very highly cited study on protein and kidney health because it's uh it's good when we keep advancing our knowledge and we're not stuck making the same recommendations we would have made 10 years ago when we actually know more if we look at new data or data in a different way or use better tech to make better measurements and then use that data. There's so many ways why um, our knowledge improves when we continue to do research and that's why we're here. Exactly. Very cool. Thank you. Have a wonderful day, everybody. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You can email us. We want to hear from you with suggestions, with feedback at researchll at gmail.com. What what am I forgetting, Lisa? And we want to subscribe and rate. We definitely want that. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great summer. We will see you in September. 